Welcome to 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and this is episode number 59 of the podcast. And today, we're going to preview the 49ers Week 13 matchup versus the Seattle Seahawks, including who needs to step up in the absence of Debo Samuel. Kyle Shanahan revealed something pretty big about why Trey Lance has not been playing. Also, a report came out detailing why Jimmy Garoppolo is the perfect quarterback for Kyle Shanahan, and we will detail everything that needs to happen on Sunday for San Francisco to continue their winning streak against the Seahawks. But first, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave that review, follow us on social media, and let's hop in to today's show. And I want to start today's show by discussing the meaning of this game. And... You know, you watch Lion King, it's a circle of life, right? Well, this Sunday versus Seattle, it can be that circle of life. I want to go back to the Harbaugh era for the 49ers. You know, what, three straight NFC Championship games in the playoffs consistently, then all of it falls apart. And there's been a lot of debate as to what was the reason things fell apart. And you can argue, Jed, you can argue Harbaugh's voice kind of started to wear thin in that locker room. All valid things to you know, give as the reason for the Harbaugh era ending in San Francisco. But I want to point to that 2013 NFC Championship game. That was the coming out party for the Seahawks, the Legion of Boom era in Seattle. I'm sure as Niner fans, we all know the Michael Crabtree, you know, don't put a sorry receiver like Crabtree on me uh, from eventual former 49er Richard Sherman. We all know what that felt like. The tip in the end zone, the interception. We know what it was like to have to travel to Seattle after being the talk of the NFC West for a while, losing versus Baltimore in that Super Bowl, just like two yards away, one yard away, couldn't get in, only to lose the next year in Seattle. To Pete Carroll, who has a long history with Jim Harbaugh to the Seahawks, who were kind of the laughing stock of the NFC for a long time up until Russell Wilson getting there and Pete Carroll getting there. But now things are starting to come full circle. Just like the Legion of Boom, Sherman, Wilson, Pete Carroll, just like they ended the Harbaugh era in San Francisco, we are now starting to see the end of an era in Seattle. This is the first time in Russell Wilson's career Seattle has lost eight games. They have been nine and seven or better ever since he was drafted to the Seahawks. Now the offseason for Seattle, just like San Francisco, despite it being a little different, the offseason came with its frustrations. Russell Wilson wants out. He wants the team to improve. And there was a lot of frustration, a lot of talk of, Wilson could be done in Seattle if the GM and Pete Carroll there, Schneider and Carroll, don't get things turned around. Don't maybe commit to improving this team for the sake of Wilson. Give him an offensive line. Give him a defense. And you can argue, well, they have done that, or maybe they haven't via the offensive line. But the defense has looked better in this year than recent seasons. But that frustration has still lingered. The, well, the predictions in the offseason where Seattle will probably be third in the division behind San Francisco and the Rams, they'll be a wild card team, they'll be in position to upset somebody later in the season. 
But now they're sitting here at three and eight. And now that frustration continues to linger. Wilson had the injury, missed a ton of time. They couldn't get any wins. They couldn't buy a win with Geno. But now they can't buy a win with Wilson. Ever since he's come back, he's been awful. And now the rumors are back. Wilson wants out. Wilson wants to get traded. There's frustration from the front office. There's frustration from Carroll. Is he going to jump back to college football? So many coaching changes. Lincoln Riley. Kelly's gone. At Notre Dame, they hired a new coach down Notre Dame. Oklahoma still needs that head coach. Could Carroll leave Seattle for the for college football once again? Where he found his first success in football. Now there's rumors that, well, and Mike Silver, NFL Network, said, look, there's a scenario where Wilson and Carroll are both gone. This, on Sunday, could be the beginning of the end for one of the best head coaching and quarterback duos the league has seen the last decade and a half. Now, Niner fans might say the most hated quarterback head coaching duo in the last decade and a half, but if the Niners can solidify a win on Sunday, just like Seattle ended the Harbaugh era, Jimmy Garoppolo and co. and Kyle Shanahan, they can end the Carroll and Wilson era in Seattle. It's poetry. It's coming full circle. And in Seattle, December 2nd as we speak, this Sunday, winter is coming. And the Niners, they could be that first snowfall. This could be the chance for the Niners to end an era in Seattle. The Niners can be the beginning of the end times for Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. If you're a nerd, a Marvel fan, the Niners can be their Ragnarok. And I want to explain how they can do it. And let's be clear here. There's nothing better, maybe outside winning a championship, than beating the Seattle Seahawks, not just at home, but on the road in Seattle, where we've had a horrible time trying to find wins. In fact, one of the biggest... uh, accomplishments of Garoppolo's career, in my opinion, was going to Seattle and actually winning a game in 2019. Smith couldn't do it. Kaepernick couldn't do it. No one can do it despite the success everywhere else. We, we can go to Arizona and Baltimore and, and Cleveland and Pittsburgh and New England. We can get wins there. We just couldn't win in Seattle. But Jimmy did that. And again, there's nothing better than I guess you can say getting some comeuppance, some revenge on Seattle. What they did to us eight years ago can now happen to them. Now we can reinforce our dominance on them and their best era, their most prestigious era in Seattle on Sunday. So how can San Francisco beat the Seahawks? And look, this is not going to be groundbreaking stuff here. This is not going to be something you go, wow, I I just never knew that. No, no, no. This is going to be 49er football. Pound the football, control the clock, win the game. The average possession time over the last three weeks between San Francisco and Seattle, the Niners have been holding the football nearly 38 minutes a game. Seattle, 19 and a half minutes. For NFL ranking purposes, 
Seattle ranks dead last in time of possession. San Francisco, number two in the NFL over the last three weeks. The Rams game, 39 minutes. The Jacksonville game, 38 minutes. And the Minnesota game, 37 minutes. And best believe, had Garoppolo not thrown that pick versus Minnesota, it would have been 38, 39 plus minutes against the Vikings. To give you some more stats here to kind of reinforce the point of they're going to have to win this game on the ground. NFL teams are undefeated this season, 22-0, when holding on to the ball at least 37 minutes in non-overtime games. Your way to victory is hitting that 37-minute mark holding on to the ball. If your T.O.P. is 37 minutes, you will, per the stats, likely win this game. You have a 100% chance of winning this game. And to make this point even more clear, the Seahawks are on pace to have the worst time of possession margin in a season since 2000 by more than three minutes. If you held on to the ball for 22 and a half minutes, it's not great by any means, but that would have been the initial mark Seattle will be hitting as the worst since 2000. But now they're at 19 and a half. Three minutes below the worst T.O.P. since 2000, since Y2K, since the beginning of the new millennium, Seattle has the worst T.O.P. with an offense of Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, D.K. Metcalf, Gerald Everett. Guys you would argue are top five, maybe even number one at their position with Wilson. This game on Sunday is going to be a bleed-it-down, bloody mess. Because Seattle's not going to come in saying, you know, yeah, season's over, man, you know. Oh, you know, yeah, you know, season's over. No, no, if the Lions are still in the playoffs, somehow still in the hunt, best believe Seattle will come in on Sunday with their pride. They're going to want to take it to us, punch us in the mouth, give us that gum punch, humble us. And let's, let's, let's be honest, Russell Wilson, as much as we maybe dislike the guy for how successful he's been, he has not been himself the last few weeks, arguably all season. But if there's one quarterback, one stadium, one fan base, one team, if this team was 0-11, I would sit there and go, we could still lose this game. <laughs> Because that's what it's like playing in Seattle. Playing in front of the 12s. And despite how much confidence we've had in our Niners the last few years, of, we can be anybody. There's always that lingering fear. No matter how good Arizona is, no matter how good the Rams are, even the Chiefs, there was an underlying confidence that we can beat anybody. But whenever Seattle comes to Santa Clara or we go to Seattle, there is this underlying fear of, this could be an ugly, ugly loss. And if the Niners want to avoid that, to avoid the ugly loss, to knock Seattle out while they're down, they have to continue to run the football. Let's talk about where this team was week one through seven. So prior to really that Bears game. An explosive run rate, meaning 
high yardage runs, 15 yards, 20 yards runs. Week 1 through 7, they had an 11% chance. That ranked 16th in football, right in the middle, pretty much. Week 8, Bears game on to now, being the Vikings game. 13%, well, you can say, well, what is 2%? I'll tell you, it's top 10 in the NFL. And a big part of that, and we all know his name by now, it's Elijah Mitchell. Elijah Mitchell's 20, he has 23 rushes of 10 or more yards. That is the most among NFL rookies. He also only needs 119 more yards to set the 49ers franchise record for most rushing yards by a rookie in a single season. To give you even some more context as to how good Elijah Mitchell has been, to to how much they're going to need to rely on him on Sunday, to how much we should trust him on Sunday to carry this rock, to go into Seattle and be that bell cow back, to be that Derrick Henry, that Joe Mixon, that Christian McCaffrey, that Alvin Kamara back to us. Running backs this season who have multiple games with 27-plus carries. Derrick Henry has six, Joe Mixon has three, Elijah Mitchell has two. I understand, six-round pick, not expecting much, but Elijah Mitchell has cemented himself. Despite not playing a full season thus far, missed a couple games this year, has a finger injury. Despite not being a high-end, top-tier pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, Elijah Mitchell has put his name amongst the NFL greats in regards to where he should rank amongst running backs. In fact, he's been better than many of those, and he's arguably going to be and likely going to finish with the most rushing yards in a single season for a San Francisco 49er running back. Better than Frank Gore, Garrison Hurst, Kevin Barlow, Roger Craig, and many others. I'm just naming the big running backs the Niners have had in their career. Guys who we deem some of the greatest of all time, excluding Barlow, of course. Mitchell is going to surpass them. He's going to be that bell cow back. Is, has anybody thought of Raheem Mostert? And I love the guy. And it, it would be great to have him back on the team this season. And even next year for all, all that matters. But Elijah Mitchell has made this fan base, made this team really forget about Raheem Mostert at all. When he went down, we all said, oh God. Oh, it's got to be Sermon, got to be Jeff Wilson. Oh, Michael Hasty, really? No, no, Elijah Mitchell. He has been phenomenal. But getting back to my point of the Niners needing to continue this explosive, this heavy ground game. Last week, Seattle played Washington. Where they couldn't move the ball, and despite Seattle doing their best... Uh, their best or, or 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 putting their best effort forward to win that game late. Antonio Gibson, Washington's running back. 36 touches, 146 yards. And if you're a fantasy guy, 21.6 points in PPR leagues. But 36 touches, 146 yards. Even if Mitchell has 27 touches, that's a successful day for San Francisco. Michael Hasty should be healthy. Jeff Wilson should continue to progress back from the injury. This is a game where 
yes, San Francisco needs to continue the ground attack, but this is also a game where they should have continued success doing so. Seattle's defense this year, despite me saying having been better than previous years, excluding Legion of Boom years, obviously one of the greatest defenses of all time. Seattle's defense, despite how good they have been, they have been inconsistent in really weird areas. A lot of anomalies on this defense. Seattle's defense is last in yards allowed per drive. They're also last in plays allowed per drive. And finally, they're last in opponent time of possession. Let that sink in. They are last in every category, every single category, San Francisco's recipe for success needs. Plays, yards, T.O.P. You're going to give us 19 plays a drive, 15 plays a drive, 8 minutes a drive, and let us go 80 yards down your throat, 75 yards down your throat while taking up the entire clock, the entire first quarter. This is a game where everything San Francisco, when they found their identity, when they got back to who they are, to who they want to be, this is a game where many of us might think, oh, Seattle, Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, anything can happen. And while those feelings are still there, the stats, the evidence prove San Francisco should have should be able to carry over everything they've been doing the past three to four weeks. Everything they've been doing on this three-game win streak they're on, beating Minnesota, beating Jacksonville, beating the Rams. So this is not a game where we say, well, Jimmy has to lead this team to victory. And while technically, yes, he still has to make those big-time throws on third downs, this is a game where the reliance on Elijah Mitchell and this run game, while maybe some could say is too much, you can't trust Jimmy, or whatever the anti-argument, the other argument, the other side of the argument could be, this is a game where San Francisco will have no need, no reason to get away from who they are. To maybe put pressure on Jimmy to lead them. No, no, no. The run game should have sustained success on Sunday. But let's talk about this Niners passing offense because there's a big hit, right? Debo Samuel's not going to play on Sunday, or at least likely not going to play on Sunday. Uh, we have no idea what their report is, but it seems like he's going to be out on Sunday, barring a miracle. The Niners pass offense, and let's start with that explosive pass rate. We started with the run game and their explosive pass rate. Let's talk about the passing offense's explosive pass rate. Weeks 1 through 7. Again, 7%, 26th in football. Now weeks 8 through now, Bears game to now. 13% explosive pass rate. We've almost doubled how explosive our passing game is. And we rank number 2. And to make it even more, to give us more context, we rank number two with a 13% explosive pass rate in 2019. Shanahan's greatest accomplishment thus far in San Francisco. San Francisco ranked number one in explosive 
pass rate with 12%. San Francisco has been better this season, weeks 1 through what will be 13 on Sunday, than they were in 2019. The confidence should never be higher in this team. But again, one of their main receivers, Debo Samuel, will be out on Sunday. This is a guy who's over 1,000 yards, has five touchdowns, five rushing touchdowns, five receiving touchdowns, more touchdowns than Dalvin Cook, McCaffrey, Jones, Kamara, Montgomery, Barkley. He's the first receiver in the Super Bowl era to score a rushing touchdown in three straight games. They're going to miss that on Sunday. They're going to miss that big time on Sunday. Receiver one, gone. Arguably, playmaker one will be out. Removed from the board. If you like to play chess, your queen has been removed from the board. This is no checkmate by any means. But it's a huge loss. Versatility is gone. From receiver to running back to offensive weapon. To give you some more context as to how big the loss of Debo Samuel actually is, many of us the last three seasons would say that DK Metcalf is better than Debo Samuel, arguably. I think I would say DK has had a better consistent career, asked to do more receiver-friendly things, has a better quarterback, or at least, you know, Wilson has been on the field consistently the last three seasons. But Debo Samuel in 33 games played, 2,587 yards with Jimmy and Nick Mullins and Bethard. DK Metcalf in 10 more games has under 300 yards more with Russell Wilson. I want to shatter this maybe thought in people's brains that DK is better than Debo. Yes, both are good at what they do. Both are great at what they do. DK, you know, when playing at his highest level, is a top five, top ten receiver in the league. And while this may be Debo Samuel's breakout party, might be his his best year of his career for all we know. What Debo Samuel has done, the versatility, but the injuries have hindered. Not only his, but the team's injuries have hindered what he's been able to do. But even with those injuries, even with those limitations of this offense last season, and even this season to a certain extent, even with that time missed off the field by Debo himself, he has been a more efficient player, whether it be running back or receiver, than DK Metcalf. Now you can argue, well, DK is more of a mismatch for for smaller DBs. He's more explosive in the passing game. My argument to that is he has Russell Wilson. And not to disparage Jimmy G at all, but Shanahan's system is much different than what Russell Wilson does in Seattle. It's a more vertical offense. Now, not to get too far ahead of myself, but Debo Samuel, if Trey Lance becomes what we think he will be, that Josh Allen, Mahomes, S. John Elway kind of guy. This is promising. This could be the DK, Russell, Lance, Samuel. 
comparison. This could be your Mahomes and Tyreek Hill duo. This could be the next great San Francisco 49ers duo in Lance and Samuel. But on Sunday, even if he has Jimmy, even since it is going to be Jimmy Garoppolo, and Debo is going to be out now, how do you replace that production? How do you replace what Debo has done? Now, I I mentioned it on the last podcast where I'm not technically too concerned as to losing Debo Samuel. And while that sounds kind of bad in how I'm minimizing what he's done, it's not true. I'm more concerned about having to lose Brandon Ayuk. And what I mean by that is Brandon Ayuk will likely slide into that Debo Samuel role. We may not have him in the backfield as much. He might be in a more pure receiver rotation of what he's doing play-by-play. But I'm more concerned about having to use Ayuk in that Debo Samuel role and then having to move Ayuk out of what he's been doing since he kind of found himself this year. But I will say, when Debo got hurt, Trent Shurfield, the big third down catch last week, Juwan Jennings didn't have a breakout year by any or game by any means, but did show some improvement. He's run blocking better. And that goes back to who run blocks better? Trent Shurfield, Juwan Jennings. In my opinion, it's Juwan Jennings. In my opinion, Juwan Jennings should continue to play and should start in the place of Debo Samuel simply because it allows San Francisco to play the way they want to play. And that's not to to say Sherfield can't run block, but Juwan Jennings has been showing the improvement week by week, practice by practice, of what San Francisco wants in their receivers. Debo Samuel talked about why Ayuk wasn't getting the reps, wasn't getting the play he wanted earlier this year because during practice, he was not run blocking. He wasn't showing the effort. Not to say Sherfield's not showing the effort, but Juwan Jennings on Sundays during practice. Shanahan talked about it himself during press conferences. Juwan has been improving day by day. And to replace someone like Debo Samuel, you're not going to replace that production. You're just not. Debo can do so many more things than what Ayuk and Jennings and Sherfield can do. You're not going to replace that versatility. But what you know you can do still is run the football effectively with Mitchell and Wilson Jr., maybe even Hasty if he's in there. And to do so, you need a big-bodied, run-blocking receiver. That is Juwan Jennings. Juwan Jennings should fill that role of Debo Samuels. But let's talk about how this team can exploit Seattle through the air. Because, again, this game is a game where... San Francisco should have plenty of success running the football. Even if Jamal Adams is in the box or, or or Wagner's in the box. And don't get me wrong, this Seattle defense is really good against the run. Really good, in fact. They allow the 11th least rushing yards in football. The 7th least touchdowns on the ground in football. This is a good rushing defense. The issue is they can't cover anybody. They're awful against the pass. Awful. 25, 25th most allowed yards in football. It's awful. They're getting passed upon consistently. Even a quarterback like Jimmy, who many of us would would say is good, probably in that you know 12 to 15 range of quarterback, 
On a good day, maybe he's eight. Maybe he's eighth. On a really good day. But there are still ways San Francisco can exploit this Seattle defense, even without Debo Samuel. Even with a guy like Jawan Jennings, who may be a primary run-blocking wide receiver. Even with maybe Jeff Wilson not being at full strength yet, or Michael Hasty returning for his first game in three weeks off IR. There are, and this is very similar to the to the Eagles game last year, albeit it was Nick Mullins, not Jimmy G. And you're not playing Seattle, you're playing you're playing the Eagles last year. It was Carson Wentz, not Russell Wilson. They really have some bum receivers in Philadelphia last year. Seahawks obviously have DK and Lockett, but this is very similar to last year against Philadelphia, where when we talked about that game on this podcast, I talked about how Nate Gary, who actually was a Niner this year for a little bit, he was awful in pass coverage. He, he, he Kittle should have eaten him alive, and he did. Kittle was targeted heavily, and that's how they moved the ball down the field consistently. And even in that game, go back to last year in Santa Clara versus Eagles, the first drive of the game, Nick Mullins missed Kyle Juszczyk for a huge gain early, probably 20, 30 yards would have set us up early to put some points on the board. Well, against Seattle, they have their Nate Gary, and his name is Jordan Brooks. Jordan Brooks this season has allowed a reception every six cover snaps. That is the worst rate among linebackers in the NFL. To put it very simply, they have the worst coverage linebacker in football. He has allowed a 120.4 rating when in coverage. Jimmy technically does not need to push the ball down the field, give me big chunk plays. He doesn't have to do that. What he really has to do is, whoever is on Brooks, get them the football. Use your eyes to manipulate the safeties to get guys like Kittle and Juszczyk open. To get them two to three yards of separation to buy them time to get yak. You don't have to, again, you don't have to give me a 20, 30-yard pass. Those are great by all means, but you don't have to do so. If there's one person to exploit, we talked about how the Niners can exploit them on the ground, right? This is the one area San Francisco can exploit Seattle through the air. They have the mismatch in every single way. Use check one of the best receiving foot fullbacks, arguably he's a tight end playing fullback in the NFL, on Brooks, they have the mismatch. They have the advantage. Kittle, in many people's eyes, the best tight end in football. One of the best route-running tight ends in the NFL. On Jordan Brooks, that's a mismatch. Even if Seattle says, we're putting Jamal Adams on George Kittle, that's a mismatch for San Francisco. They still have the advantage. Jamal Adams sucks in coverage. I cannot believe they wasted two first-round picks on that guy. The prospects of getting a star safety sound great until you realize they're not that good. Not that good. And so on Sunday, again, San Francisco will be able to run the football. And if they can target Jordan Brooks over and over, he is a weakness. And if you're any team with a killer instinct, what do you do? You exploit the weakness over and over and over and over and over again. Make Seattle make the adjustment. In the red zone, and this is the biggest key of this game in my opinion, San Francisco will be able to run the ball. They'll be able to get third down conversions. 
But the reason why Seattle does worry me is because of these defensive splits. We talked about yards, dead last, drive success rate, dead, or, or excuse me, 29th in football. But points per drive, Seattle's defense is ranked number ninth. Now, if you're giving up the most yards per drive and offenses are having the third highest, the fourth highest success rate against your defense, yet for some reason, you're only allowing the ninth least points on defense. How does that make sense? Because really the numbers don't add up at all. At all. But here's how. Seattle has the number four ranked red zone TD percentage allowed. They are the number four ranked red zone defense in the NFL at a 50% rate. San Francisco against Minnesota had a 75% success rate in the red zone. Three for four. Against Seattle, if they're two for four, let's say they get 14 points off of four trips in the red zone. That Vikings game last Sunday, let's say it was the exact same score, but San Francisco had one less touchdown. That's that's a lot different game. And, and, And Russell Wilson, the Vikings game was Kirk Cousins, but Russell Wilson would have had that ball late in that game. It's exactly where we have been year by year by year. I'm telling you, if there's one area that scares me, one area that can cause me to have a heart attack. It's that. That Russell Wilson has the ball with six minutes left. And because Seattle's defense came up big in the red zone, and let's say they only got three points on the board, we're up six late. That terrifies me. We're up four late in the game. That's what scares me most because it's happened so many times. And. Despite them being 3-8, and eight, the stats show it could easily happen again on Sunday. Even if we have a 37-minute T.O.P., even if Mitchell has 27 carries and 130 yards and one touchdown, even if Jimmy is being consistent on third downs, he's exploiting Jordan Brooks, this, this stat here is the outlier that still scares me. Even if San Francisco does everything right on Sunday and they go 2-4 for four in the red zone, and that defense that has played well all year is on the field, up 4, with 6 minutes left against Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett. That terrifies me. It terrifies me. But thankfully, thankfully, San Francisco is that number 1 ranked red zone offense. But this matchup... Number one red zone offense against a number four ranked red zone defense. That is the matchup to watch on Sunday. But there is one thing here. Is that, and I want to make a point. Because Seattle's defense has not been the issue. It's been the offense. Which, the last few years, really has been Seattle's strength. Since Russell Wilson said, I'm unlimited. It's not been... The defense. The defense last seven games, 26 points, 23 points, 13 points, 7 points, 17 points, 23 points, 17 points. 
Their defense has allowed 15.7 points per game the last seven games. That was a lot of numbers, but to make it simple, their defense the last seven games has played better than the number one defense in football in regards to giving up points per game. Their issue is not the defense. It's the offense. So let's talk about how the Niners' run defense can limit what Seattle does on Sunday. The Niners this year, weeks 1 through 9, that is weeks 1, Detroit versus the Cardinals, yards allowed, 131.6, ranks 26th in football. But now, weeks 10 through now, 57. We are the number one rushing defense in the NFL. And this brings me to one of the probably more laughable things about this game is Adrian Peterson's back. Adrian Peterson is now in Seattle. Does he make a difference? This is a win-now move. (laughs) It's not. Peterson might get a red zone touchdown, but he's not the same guy he was. He's got old legs. And I love AP. I am Boomer Sooner till the day I die. Lincoln Riley, you ripped my heart out and I hate you forever. But 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 Peterson, he's old. This is very similar and arguably a lesser move than when they brought Marshawn Lynch back in 2019 to face us against them in Week 17. This is a lesser move. Moves the needle. This is the gas tank's still on empty for me. This is a this is a whatever. Like, Peterson, okay, you might give me three or four yards. He might have 15 yards this game, 20 yards this game, but he ain't doing much after that. So I am really not worried about this Seattle run defense at all. They're the number one run defense in football, and they brought in Adrian Peterson because Chris Carson's not going to play. Rashad Penny can't play because he's hurt. Run defense is not the issue, but it's the passing defense, right? It's the one area that has been an issue all year. And I will say this. I do think that a, the the passing defense, despite struggling early, has turned things around mightily, mightily. And Josh Norman's played better. Emmanuel Mosley, Emmanuel Mosley, and we'll get to him soon. But talk about lockdown, like man. And, and and I've ragged on him the past couple weeks. And despite me thinking it seems like every single time there's a big catch, he's on the other end of it. Uh, he actually has played really well this season. But let's talk about Russell Wilson and versus Niners pass defense. Russell Wilson since 2019. More numbers for you here. Per PFF, he was the number one quarterback in 2019, the sixth best quarterback in 2020, this year the 18th best quarterback. In EPA, expected points or extra points average, right? In 2019, 7th. In 2020, 19th. In 2021, 24th. To give you even maybe a comparison here, Russell Wilson's QBR this year is slightly better than Ben Roethlisberger's, who is 22nd. Ben's 23rd, Wilson is 22nd. Russell Wilson has been a below-average starter this year in the NFL. But here's where I get you. Here's where my biggest concern is, right? Russell Wilson can can beat you at any point. 
He's missed guys high with the finger issue, missed guys low. He has not been himself. But just like the red zone defense versus our red zone offense, this is the one area I think our defense may have trouble with. Highest accurate pass percentage on throws 20 yards plus the deep ball for fans. Russell Wilson ranks second in the NFL, 51.6%. His favorite target, Tyler Lockett, on balls 20-plus yards, 13 catches, 510 yards, both ranked first in football. DK Metcalf, despite how big he is, by the meathead he might be, no matter how much he dyes his hair different colors and pulls his Dennis Rodman impersonation off to perfection, I am scared of Tyler Lockett. If, if I'm Seattle, and it really doesn't matter who he's on, right? Who's guarding him? Doesn't, doesn't matter. If it's Kwan or Mosley or Norman, Russell and Lockett will find a way to beat you. I do think you put Mosley on DK. But if San Francisco wants to physically frustrate DK, that's where Josh Norman comes into play. Because Mosley has shown he cannot guard DK in the past. But I think Norman can physically frustrate DK. Despite how big he is, Norman is nagging. He's annoying. He likes to punch that ball out. I do think they should put Norman on DK. And I do think Mosley and K1 should primarily be guarding Tyler Lockett. He is their biggest X-factor in the passing game. And even DK. Last year, DK had 140 targets, ranked 14th in football. This year, 76. That ranks 32nd. And to keep that into your mind, he didn't have a reception until the last drive when Seattle was moving the football in the fourth quarter against Washington. He didn't touch the ball. He has been a non-factor ever since Russell Wilson returned with the finger injury. The X-factor is Tyler Lockett. Jimmy Ward and Josh Norman, they can handle DK for all I care. I am more worried about Tyler Lockett. Put Mosley on him. Mosley this year, giving up zero TDs in, in 51 coverage snaps. That ranks second in football. Behind Tredavious White, who is now out for the season in Buffalo. Thus, by default, yes, by default, Mayo Mosley has given up zero touchdowns on 51 coverage snaps. Now that ranks first in the NFL. Mayla Mosley, kudos to you, my friend. I apologize. Apologize for running down your road many times this season. But let's talk about how this Niners team can get to Wilson. Because what's one of the biggest things? Wilson buys time with his feet, finds a guy streaking down the middle of the field, and it's locked for a 60-yard touchdown pass as time expires, right? That's almost how every single Seattle game ends up. Wilson runs in a giant circle and finds a guy deep. He's like playing Madden, right? Seattle's defense, well, excuse me, their, their offensive line ranks 26th in football a 62.2 grade. If Nick Bosa and Arden Key and Charles Amenehue and Eric Armstead and DJ Jones, who's having a phenomenal season, 
cannot get to the quarterback and they allow Wilson to sit back there and buy him time over and over and over again, that will again be a problem. You're giving Lockett, you're giving even DK, you're giving Gerald Everett more time to find open space, which is how Seattle has beat us year by year by year. But thankfully this year, we finally have the weaponry, the weaponry to, I think, limit what Seattle can do. Despite my fears, despite my maybe concerns, I do think this is the year we can end this run. And there's one player on defense I think we're all questioning of, will he play, will he not play, and one player that would help getting back because despite me loving Aziz Alshire, if Fred Warner cannot play, despite him not having the greatest season, he's a captain, he knows how to play in pass coverage. Seattle cannot run the football. This is going to be a heavy Seattle passing game. Especially if we are playing ahead and controlling the T.O.P. If Fred Warner does not play, I expect someone like Gerald Everett to have a solid game. Because despite me loving Al Shire and even Greenlaw, who may not play as well, are really good in pass coverage. Al Shire is really not that great in pass coverage. And he is really bad at missing tackles. He's the one that missed James Conner on that 3rd and 15 versus Arizona and gave them that first down. Where we had them pinned inside their own 10. Gerald Everett this year, who will likely be guarded by Al Shire, if he indeed is the Mike linebacker on Sunday, which has the green dot on the helmet, he has a broken tackle perception average of .32. The three tight ends who have created more missed tackles have at least nine more catches and 19 more targets. Again, to put it simply, Gerald Everett is a missed tackle machine, and we're going to have someone who has a problem with missed tackles guarding him on Sunday. While I do think San Francisco should be the overwhelming favorite, there are really small things, really small areas, where Seattle can exploit us just like we can exploit them. Now, we can exploit them in more areas than they can exploit us, but there are, again, really small things, really small things, where if they do these things, if they can hit Everett, allow him to be guarded by Al Shire, make him miss tackles, if they can buy time, hit Lockett for deep passes, if Bosa can't get to the to the quarterback and it gets Wilson more time, these are things that can cost us the game, which has many people worried about a trap game. Could this be a trap game? Now, I hate talking about trap games with Seattle because it's Seattle, it's a divisional game, it's really hard for me to call it a trap game, right? Because it's really not. No division game is really a trap game unless you're the Colts playing Jacksonville <laughs> or you're Pittsburgh playing the Bengals the last decade and a half. Like, there really isn't a trap game in football. Or maybe if you're the Packers playing the Lions, or or maybe, again, it's really hard to have a, a trap game unless you're the Jets and the Patriots the last two decades. But Seattle has won three in a row versus San Francisco. They've also won four of the last five. San Francisco is 8-16 and 16 all-time in Seattle. The Niners are 1-9 in Seattle in their last 10 games, and they won <laughs> pretty much by 6 inches 
in 2019 due to Dre Greenlaw coming up big at the goal line. Seattle is also, in those nine wins versus San Francisco in the last 10 games, they're outscoring San Francisco on average 30-14. Now I get it. We're talking about games like Brian Hoyer and C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins. Only a couple for Jimmy G, right? He had none in 2020. He had none, I believe, in 2017. May have had one, excuse me. But in Seattle, he's only had two games. 2020 with the ankle injury, got hurt at halftime or prior to halftime. And then 2019, that's really been it. And so he's one for one in Seattle. Pretty much he's... I guess one and a half, I guess you could argue, <laughs> really. But this is a game where, again, I don't want to say trap game. I, I hate that word, especially against a divisional opponent. But if there is a game where we should be worried, I already went down the entire reason of you know, why we should win, how they can exploit us, how we can exploit them. Seattle is a curse to San Francisco. But even with that said, even with all the curses and all the, the magic... All the skittles falling from the sky. I think San Francisco wins 32. Yes, 32. Weird number, 32. Man, I'll say 33 to make, keep it even. 33 to make it even, you know, even if field goal. 33 to 24. It's going to be a battle. Wilson will come to play. Seattle, at a certain point, may have the lead in this game just like Minnesota had a lead early in the game this past Sunday. Do not be surprised if San Francisco is playing from behind at some point. Do not be surprised if this game comes down to a Robbie Gold field goal to extend a six-point lead. Do not be surprised. But let's talk about Trey Lance. We really have avoided the conversation a lot the last few weeks. Really... It's been kind of great. Not having to talk about him has really been awesome, to be clear and and honest with you. But why hasn't he been playing? Speculation was, well, Jimmy G's been playing so well, which is true. Or it's, Lance hasn't developed, which might be true. Or, and we have an answer here, actually. Kyle Shanahan revealed, and I have a quote here. And the quote said, What's been hard on me that I didn't realize is when you bring in a different quarterback who gets a different set of plays, it's almost the first play I've been seeing in your defense. You see what fronts and coverages the defense are doing, but they're doing it completely to plant as a threat of the runner at the position. Pretty much what he's saying is that from quarterback to quarterback, Jimmy or Lance, they're giving you different looks. Despite maybe them running the exact same play, they're giving you different looks. And Shanahan continued here, I don't know what to anticipate with it. Then I gotta stay in it for a while and get a feel for that. Then you go back and that feels off and everything feels odd. So it kind of hurts my rhythm a little bit. My understanding of what a defense is getting at. That's why personally, as the year has gone on, I've gotten a little more away from it. Because I feel like I'm not getting a feel for what the defense is doing. So, to put that long quote in a very short-form way, Shanahan was over his head. When Lance came in, he was like, oh, well, they 
I, I see this, but it's not what they gave me for Jimmy, and so I don't know what to do. And vice versa, when Jimmy came back and it was, well, they gave me this for Lance, but now I don't know what to do. And so, when when Shanahan is sitting there like, oh, well, you know, we couldn't get into rhythm. The reason why I couldn't get into rhythm is because he was playing this two-quarterback system. He got over his head. Got way over his head. He didn't know what he was doing. He thought he knew. He thought, well, I can do this, and I can exploit this, and I can use Lance as a weapon. And I think many of us got behind the idea of that, which is fine. But he had to pull back the reins, just like he does with Jimmy, or did with Jimmy, first Minnesota, in the playoff game in 2019. Shanahan had to check himself. Because it's extremely hard to multitask as a coordinator, as a head coach. Like, going into a game, and John Middlecoff did a great job at detailing this. For coordinators, which Shanahan practically is, you're going into a game focusing on, I have one quarterback, we're going to scheme for this defense with this quarterback, and this is the game plan. But you're asking Shanahan, who is, again, pretty much the OC in San Francisco, to have not two separate game plans, but really try to implement two quarterbacks into the same game plan or have a little off you know little off-handed plays for Trey the Trey package you're asking Shanahan who is pretty much pulling double duty of OC and head coach and this year also with the rookie defensive coordinator and has been calling plays on defense as well he's doing like four different jobs to make his job simpler he had to pull back the the issue early on was well, Jimmy doesn't have a rhythm. Kyle can't find his rhythm. And this isn't Lance's fault at all, but the way, the reason why they couldn't find the rhythm was because Trey Lance. And that's not his fault. It's not. It's Shanahan trying to do too much, getting in over his head. We all speculated about, well, what could be the issue with, with Kyle Shanahan? Kyle Shanahan goes, well, maybe if I pull back this unnecessary burden on me right now, push it to the offseason or push it back when maybe it's necessary, try to get things back on track with Jimmy, let's kind of remove Lance from the conversation, not for the sake of Jimmy, for for his mental well-being, for the sake of me as a head coach, as an offensive coordinator, as a play caller, which in return then helps Jimmy find that rhythm because then Shanahan has found his rhythm. And you're working in tandem. I talked about it after the Bears game. Quarterback and head coach working in tandem. Jimmy and Shanahan, I'll put him against anybody. And I think Shanahan realized, look, I can't try to win with the quarterback while trying to develop another one. At least because I'm the OC and the head coach. I, I can't do this. I have to pull back the reins a little bit. He was in over his head. That's okay to admit. It's 100% okay. And so don't get mad if Lance isn't playing. There's a reason. Shanahan couldn't do it. And that's okay. Let McDaniels, let your coaches develop Lance. Let him, again, tell your your coordinators what you want them to do. Work with Lance on being Russell Wilson on scout team. Work with him on being the Kirk Cousins during scout team, which is what he's been doing. And Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, summed this up perfectly. He talked about how he was in New England and him running scout team for Brady and, B- and Belichick's defense was a great chance for him to learn because you're having to force balls into places that maybe a Russell Wilson might. Like, you're having to 
This is your target. You're going to throw it here. You have to hit this guy. It's forcing you to gamble, to, to find the way to get balls into tighter holes. Hit receivers maybe you initially aren't comfortable with hitting as a young quarterback. It's making you get out of your comfort zone, which then allows you on Sunday to go, I've done this 10 times. We did this during the scout team the last three years, two years, whatever it may be. It allows you, despite what people might want to say was, you know, Lance isn't learning enough. No, that's not true. He may not be learning the way me or you or somebody else might want him to, but he's learning the way that is best for him and best for this team right now. It may mean pushing back that development to the offseason and going into next year with maybe a rougher start than you like, but that's why you build the defense up and get in more weapons offensively and build up the offensive line. Hopefully Aaron Banks works out, get him more secondary help to aid him as a young quarterback. That way, when he's already run scout team, and maybe you're 2-2 two and two in game 4, but game 5, it finally clicks. Then you're off to the races. But Shanahan had to pull back the reins. It was too much for him. And over his head, not Jimmy, not Lance, it was on Shanahan. And thank God he did it. Thank goodness he did it. Because he was hurting this team. He was spread out too much. Sometimes you gotta, you know, consolidate, right? Get your things in order. What do I need? What I don't need? And he's like, you know what, Trey Lance, I want you in the future, but I don't think we need you right now. It's okay. We have you for the next four years, tied up under contract, maybe a fifth if you like you enough. You're okay. Let's try to get this season right, develop you on the side Maybe a little less than we initially wanted to. But it's for the betterment of this year. That's what he did. And so let's move from Lance to Jimmy G. Because Mike Silver joined Colin Coward on his podcast via the Volume Sports Network. And he made an interesting comment regarding, is Jimmy G the perfect quarterback for Kyle Shanahan. I know in some ways he's not the perfect quarterback for Kyle at all. I could do a whole segment on that. But in one way, he is the absolute perfect quarterback for Kyle. And I've talked to a lot of players about this there and coaches. He can handle the the venting, the tantrums, the negativity. Kyle's a perfectionist. Kyle gets angry during games. Kyle gets angry during practice. He can get out after you, and some people don't handle that well. That's Jimmy, right. because of how he's made up, he's fine. It bounces right off him. And, uh, you know, that there's something to be said for that. That was Mike Silver again via the Colin Coward podcast via Volume Sports Network discussing is Kyle Shanahan, or Jimmy Garoppolo, excuse me, the perfect quarterback for Kyle Shanahan. And I want to hit on this really quick here because – I think this is something many of us, including myself at times, or many of those who want to disparage Jimmy or maybe find it maybe easy to complain, well, he's average, he's average. But sometimes we don't talk about the fit with a head coach. Sometimes we focus on game plan, in between the white lines, and all those things make perfect sense. But I do think we overlook Jimmy and Kyle Shanahan's relationship. A lot of us thought, well, Jimmy hates Kyle. Jimmy, you know, he's he's throwing up papers and playbooks last year. He's pissed off. He's tired of Jimmy. 
tired of them, it stinks, it's gone sour. And that's what many people who we talk to on this podcast, many beat writers who are connected, thought. And maybe to a certain extent, it did go sour. Maybe Shanahan got too emotional, but that fits what Silver's saying. Where if Shanahan, who himself, we like to think, knows he's really smart, we think he's the smartest guy in the room, we know he's his own worst enemy, if something he dialed up that he thinks is perfect and his quarterback doesn't execute it, he throws a tantrum. Look at Sunday against the Vikings. Despite them winning the game, that first series was pretty rough for Jimmy. He missed three passes, had one really good pass, but other than that, struggled in that first series through a pick, right? And Kyle kind of tore into him. And what'd Jimmy do? Yeah, I got you, coach. You're right, you're right. Tightened things up, dialed it up, buttoned it up, got out there, started hitting his spots, and was a big part in the win of that game. That's what Silver is getting at here, is that are we sure that a 21-year-old kid who, and again, by all means, none of this is on Lance, it's just the way it actually is, can a 20-year-old kid who hasn't really played in a full year, almost two at this point, is how is he going to deal with Shanahan yelling and screaming at him on the sideline, throwing a tantrum? Lance ain't seen that before. Now, Lance... I think we can all agree is composed enough and he can handle himself like a professional. But all it takes is a few times for Shanahan to rip into him and, and maybe that maybe that allows or makes Lance lose the confidence. But Jimmy, Jimmy was coached by Belichick and was under Brady. Belichick is someone who will get in your face. He's a freaking bulldog. He'll run down your road. He will not give two Fs. What you feel, what you think. He's the same guy who didn't treat Brady any differently than anybody else, despite Brady winning six titles in New England. Belichick said, no, no, no. If you want to think you're better than us and fall off the wagon, get out of town. That's the guy Jimmy Garoppolo was coached by his first couple years in the league. What Shanahan does doesn't phase him one bit. Jimmy was screamed at, yelled at. He got his, his road run down every single day in New England. A place that if you're not perfection, you don't stay. You make two, three mistakes. No, you don't get to make two to three mistakes. You make one mistake and you don't learn to fix it, you're done. They traded guys at the top of their careers. Guys who were 29 in their prime. 10, 15 sacks, bye, you're gone. They don't care about how you feel. And I think that's the one thing we overlook here with Shanahan and Jimmy. Jimmy can take everything Shanahan throws at him. I don't know if Lance can. And again, that's not Lance's fault by any means. But we have no idea what Shanahan's emotional issues, and maybe it's a little overblown, but... We don't know what that could do to a young quarterback trying to learn the ways of the NFL, trying to find himself in this league. So again, a small thing, but it's something I wanted to talk about. Do I think Jimmy's staying for five years? No, I don't. But it's something that to win in this league, and I, and I do think Lance can learn from Jimmy. And despite many of you saying, well, well what can Jimmy really show Trey Lance? And many people will say that, but Jimmy can show Trey Lance how to play in this league, at least off the field, how to handle things mentally, 
how to deal with a head coach who he will have to be under the next four to five years, how to handle when Shanahan's emotions maybe get too much, when he loses his cool too much, when he yells and curses he's out on the sideline. And not to say Lance hasn't gone through some of that, but he has not seen it as a 21-year-old, soon-to-be 22-year-old next year, year-old man in the NFL as a rookie. That's something, to a certain degree, Jimmy playing this year saves Lance from. And on top of it, it allows Lance to observe Jimmy. To have Lance see Jimmy's cooler side, to see him have been even keel emotionally. To be what George Kittle calls kind of the calm in the huddle when things get too crazy. It allows Lance to see that, witness it, and emulate it for the future. It allows Shanahan's emotions not to get to Lance because he sees it from Jimmy. Now, I'm not saying Jimmy is by by this physical specimen. No, no, no. What I'm saying here is there are really valuable things Lance gets to learn from Jimmy because Jimmy has a very unique experience. How many guys can say, I was the heir apparent to Tom Brady and was the guy Bill Belichick wanted to replace him with. Yet I was forced to get traded after spending three to four seasons in New England, being yelled at day by day by day, learning the Patriot way, coming to California, and now I have to teach a rookie. That is something very unique to what Jimmy is, and it's what Lance gets to observe and see at least for one season. That is called valuable experience. Something Lance wouldn't get in Chicago, wouldn't get with Andy Dalton being the, the quarterback or, or Terod Taylor. No, no, no. What Lance gets from Jimmy is unique, and it needs to be, I don't want to say commemorated, but we have to realize it's special. Jimmy's average. He's a good quarterback, at best. We know that. But it's the small things, who Jimmy is personally, who he is on, off the field, who he is emotionally, that I do think Lance gets to learn the most from, on top of learning from Jimmy as a player. Now, with all that said, you're going to want to follow us on social media for all the latest updates, the news, the rumors. Who's playing on Sunday? Is Fred Warner going to play on Sunday? You will know first from us. Instagram, 49ers.access. Twitter, 49ers underscore access you are not going to want to miss a thing we ran through why the Niners can beat Seattle why Seattle could beat San Francisco gave you our prediction for the game talked about why Trey Lance isn't playing and talked about why Trey Lance is learning valuable lessons from Jimmy Garoppolo and why Garoppolo might be the perfect quarterback for Kyle Shanahan and Trey Lance this year again follow us on social media Instagram 49ers.access Twitter 49ers underscore access and until next time enjoy the game on sunday i guess i can say merry christmas now this is 23 days away that's wow that's really close <laughs> you went by really fast but my name is sterling bennett i hope we're enjoying a win on sunday i hope we're at seven and five on sunday just one game behind the rams for the fifth wild card spot i hope to be reacting to a win on monday but until next time, this has been the 49er Access Podcast. My name is Sterling Bennett. Stay faithful.